Ormagyanatunandasyatyanamjanasalakaya Vande Jagat Priyakaro Karunavutaro Vande Shri Krishna Chaitanya Nityananda Sohodito Gurudai Pushpavanto Chitrasanga Tamanudo Deyam Sadaparibhagnam Vadishtadoham Tirtaspadam Shivavarinchinutam Sharanyam Vrityatli ham sanatapalatvavavipotam Pande mahapurushate charanadavindam Chaktvasudus chajasurepsita rajalakshmi Dharmishtarya vachasa yadagadaranyam Mayamrigam daitaipsitamangadhavad Pande mahapurushate charanadavindam Krishna Karuna Sindhu Dina Bandhu Jagatpate Gopisha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostate Tapta Kanchan Gaurangi Radhe Vrindavaneshwari Prashabhanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Shri Guru Vashna Guruparampara Ki Jai Harinam Prabhu Ki Jai Srimad Bhagavad Gita Ki Jai so, good evening, everyone. Not so much light here, but we try to shed some light. There you go. <laughs> that was pretty good. So. Hmm. I have been asked to speak about devotion. Hmm. And so let me uh, let me do so by way of citing a verse from Bhagavad Gita, most of you, many of you may be familiar with Bhagavad Gita, and um, trying to draw out the far-reaching implications of it. This is the verse that comes at the end of the sixth chapter of the Gita. So let me cite it, let me sing it and, uh, and read the translation, and then I'll try to explain the context in which it comes. And and uh, the ramifications of it as far as the text itself goes and uh, for all of us who are interested in devotion. Yoginam api sarvesham madgate nantharatmanam shodhavan bhajate jomam sami yuktatomo mataha Of all yogis, he who abides in me with faith, worshipping me in devotion, is most intimately united with me and is considered the best of all. 
So the speaker here is Sri Krishna, and um, with regard to his authority on yoga, it's worth noting that uh, he's referred to at the end of the text, in the very final verse of Bhagavad Gita, <coughs> Sanjaya, who's a mystic, as you may know, the book begins with the mystic Sanjaya being asked by the king, who's blind, Dhritarashtra, to tell him what's going on on the battlefield. There's a battle that's about to ensue. And at that time, Krishna's uh, just about to pull his friend, Arjun, aside and speak to him about the meaning of life. So the king wants to know, and he's blind, and the mystic, Sanjaya is not at the scene of the uh, battle, but he has a mystical ability to see the scene in his heart. And so he, what he experiences within, he reveals then to Dhritarashtra. And in the context of doing that, he, this conversation between Krishna and Arjuna takes place. So you might, and rightfully so, think that the, uh, Sanjaya... The mystic is quite mystical <laughs> to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Of course, it also means, I suppose, to us something to the effect that Tashi Krishna Namadi Navavid Grayamindre Sevan Mukhejivado Swayameva Spratyadha. As the Purana says, with material eyes, we are not so well suited for seeing that which is for seeing, period. And I was going to say to see that which is spiritual and to see that which is spiritual is to really see. It's not that because we have eyes we can see. They get in the way of our seeing. Hmm? Same with our ears for hearing and so forth. But nonetheless, if we hear the right things from the right people, not all words are the same. Hmm? Some have more power, be backed by insight and realization than others. Then that will have a good effect upon us hmm? and through the years something can go into our heart and change it. If it comes from the heart, the self is changed and melted in love and devotion. Then those words that rise up from the heart and dance on the tongue of the speaker and find their way into our ears will find their way also into our heart and begin to melt it from its present atrophied uh, condition and thereby reveal to us all that we can be. We are a heart, actually, at heart. So we'll talk more about that. But the point I wanted to make here at the onset is that Sanjay was quite a mystic to be able to experience the conversation at a distance from within his heart and then reiterate it to the blind king. And he himself, in the concluding verse of the Gita, says, Yatru Yogeshwara Krishna. So, uh, he has referred to Krishna with the name Yogeshwar. Yogeshwar means, this is coming from a mystic, a little bit about whom I've explained, described. He's basically saying, my mysticism is nothing. <laughs> if you think that is something, it's nothing. Hmm? Yatra Yogeshwara Krishna. 
Krishna who spoke to Arjuna, the story that I've reiterated, that I've explained to you, the conversation, the sacred conversation that I have, have um, faithfully related to you. It was spoken by Krishna, and he is, in my estimation, Yogeshwar. As much as yoga is about mysticism and mystic knowing and experiencing and so forth, inner life and, and all, he says, this is the master. So Krishna is quite qualified to say something about yoga. Hmm? There are, of course, yoga sutras, which are famous of Patanjali and popular in yogic circles. But <clears throat> although the Gita itself doesn't go into the same type of detail about a particular type of yoga that is emphasized in the sutras of Patanjali, it does go over the gist of that in the sixth chapter. And this verse comes at the end of the sixth chapter. The sixth chapter is about Ashtanga Yoga. You must have heard of Ashtanga Yoga. Many of you may be schooled in that, or maybe many of you, some of you may teach that as well. Very popular form of yoga, Ashtanga. Eight Angas, Yam, Yama, Pranayam, Pratyahar, Dharan, Dhyan, Samadhi. The limbs of uh, Eightfold Mystic Yoga. This type of yoga is the subject of this sixth chapter. Previous to this chapter, other types of yoga have also been discussed. Gyan Yoga, Yoga of Knowledge. Karma Yoga, the Yoga of Action. The Yoga, actually the Yoga of what makes it a yoga of action, what makes action yoga, in other words, is it is a uh, detached action, action in which the fruits of one's activities are offered in, uh, in sacrifice, so to speak, to the, to the Absolute, to the Godhead. The clear conception of the Godhead also is... Corresponds, or the, the 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 measure or the extent of the clarity and perception of the nature of the absolute corresponds with the different types of yoga that have been explained in the Gita thus far. There's a conception of of the absolute to whom the fruits of my work will be offered on the part of the karma yogin and on the part uh, of the jnani jnan yogin and on the part of the Astanga Yogan. Hmm. Uh, different, uh, so to speak, uh, penetrations into the nature of being. Different faces, if you will, of the Absolute that, uh, that correspond with the approach that that particular Yoga is constituted of. And so having gone through these different types of Yoga, now an entire chapter on Astanga Yoga, which... Uh, effectively can acquaint us with um, kind of a, a very, uh, let's say, all-pervading and, um, and uh, peaceful conception of ultimate reality. Our world of our present experience is full of variety and difference, and the difference seems often to get away, get in the way of the unity that we sense that life should ultimately be about. The differences are 
more or less products, the Gita says itself, of our mind and senses in terms of their being instruments of perception and knowing. They give us a particular reading of existence and we go with that. In other words, we taste and, uh, and we smell and we touch objects and hear sounds and see forms and so forth. And, and impressions, these form impressions within us of, that, uh, that turn into likes and dislikes under the influence of, let's say, mind. I like this, I don't like that. This is good, this is bad, this is happy, this is sad. And a world, so to speak, of our mind is uh, of goods and bads and happies and sads is created we live in that world. And uh, we kind of live as if we'd like everybody else to live in it also, and be comfortable therein, even though it's not very comfortable for us, even. It's limited and um, constraining, confining. And it, as I say, gets in the way of the unity that we sense life must ultimately be about. So yoga, of course, is about coming out from beneath the oppression of the world, of the mind, whether it's good or bad or happy or sad. These are all subjective determinations arrived at through the instruments of senses and mind. And senses change, too. So, As a child, uh, something may taste bad, and as an adult, he may have acquired a taste for such. That may be good or bad. <laughs> but... Um, so the point being, anyway, these senses as instruments in the mind are very limited in their capacity to reveal the nature of whatever it is we're involved in, in a bigger sense, that we're all involved in, thereby the unity that we're all about. So yoga for coming out of that, different methods for coming out of that, different types of yoga, therefore, for different types of persons who are eligible for different types of uh, uh, spiritual practices. Those that have a lot of desires in their heart, they can't sit down very very long. Why do you get up from your meditation? Because you've got something to do. You owe, you owe, so after work you go. This is then karma. In other words, we've sown and so we have, we're reaping uh, fruits uh, and we're obligated. You know, we, we've, we've taken from the world, so now we're obligated to repay. So too much desire in the heart doesn't allow us to sit still. We have to get up and move according to desire. That desire in many respects also defines us, what we are, materially speaking, and what we want to come out from underneath, that sense of self, drive through the senses, our likes and dislikes, our desires. I desire this, I don't desire that. And therefore I am this or I am that. I don't like... Oh... Um, one type of... Um, um, mode of dress, so I like another type, and I'm defined by that. I'm, you know, People are defined by dress, people are defined by their cars, people are defined by their cigarettes, people are defined by their eating habits. People are defined by their relationships. One is a woman, or say a mother, because she has attachment to a daughter. 
she may be a wife because she has a husband, <laughs> and attached, or he is a husband because he has attachment to a wife, and if they weren't attached to one another, they wouldn't be together, and when they're not, they don't stay together. And then they go somewhere else and follow their desires, and again try, and uh, this is often the case, unfortunately, but the point is that we're defined by our, materially speaking, by our desires, our likes and dislikes, and so again, yoga is to come out from these things, it's to is to detach from these things, to move back from these things and see the world really for what it is. Because if we're too close to something, we can't see it for what it is. Our subjective involvement in it doesn't allow us to have a clear clear vision. So yoga is about stepping back in one sense. So karma yoga is for people who have, to, uh, have too many, um, too much to do <laughs> in their own minds, in a sense. So they're there's a way in which they can busy busy themselves with those things and things that are good things, that are righteous and appropriate kind of action is what it speaks about. And how to engage in it uh, with uh, a sense of detachment from the fruits of the work, of the labor, hmm? that they may be offered hmm, to the absolute, something like this. So then we... We grow. What's the growth that comes from that? The growth that comes from that is the ingress of, of mystic uh, understanding and wisdom. A different kind of knowledge. Not the kind of knowledge that you get, for example, in the university, academic knowledge. or Not the kind of knowledge that you take and put in your files and draw upon to pursue your agenda. Hmm? It's a kind of knowledge that reveals itself such that it becomes aware, we become aware of the fact that it has an agenda and we are on it. A very different kind of knowledge. We're used to acquiring knowledge that's we make part of our agenda to foster our own sense of self, to put forward our material sense of, of being and so forth. This is futile, of course, because... Well, nothing lasts forever, materially speaking. So we are, what is the speak of things? We are here today, and we will be gone tomorrow. Nonetheless, we acquire knowledge with an effort to sustain ourselves, to improve our lives, to make them happier, more full, and so forth. But because that pursuit will not be successful, ultimately, then that kind of knowledge in comparison to the knowledge of yoga that I'm speaking about, is a kind of ignorance. Hmm? It will not further your being, ultimately. Hmm? So a mystic kind of knowledge, and interestingly enough, this knowledge comes from going in a different direction. Materially speaking, we go out and try to acquire knowledge, and as I say, use it for our purpose. We take from the world. Hmm? And of course, then we owe, and whatnot. that's the karmic implication. But this type of knowledge is arrived at as you may recall if you're following me, not by taking, because you're giving the fruits of your work. There's a kind of a growing, real growth, that comes through giving. And everybody knows this. I'm not talking about anything that anyone doesn't have experience of. When you give, you grow. And when you take, your sense of self contracts. The more we are a taker, the more our sense of self contracts and becomes small. The more we are a giver, our sense of self grows and expands. If, for example, just simply we, we, we identify with a nation rather than with ourselves, and we follow the mandate of a, 
of the Kennedy to think not what you can do for yourself, but what your, what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country, then there's uh, a kind of a growth implied there, hmm? relative as it may be. It's a growth nonetheless. The self has become bigger. So by giving, we grow, we get. Giving is ultimately the giving, getting, I should say, that's where we arrive at in bhakti. But we're not quite there yet. Nonetheless, this principle of giving that is central to bhakti, which is a yoga of the... It's also a yoga of exercise, which is yoga is most popularly known for, but it's an exercise of the heart, this organ. Hmm? That's a more difficult exercise <laughs> than to... Um, than a bodily exercise, or than a mental exercise, or an intellectual exercise. And I'm going up here on a hierarchy of difficulty. It's, it's difficult to work physically, but it's more difficult to work mentally and intellectually, actually. That's where you get paid more, if you, have a, if you exercise your intellect more often. Hmm? And you have to work less, at least physically. Hmm? But the hard exercise, that's a whole other thing. Why? Because it doesn't really have much to do with material life at all. Hmm? It doesn't have to do with getting at all. Hmm? So it doesn't really fit into the uh, into how to improve yourself materially, only in a broader sense that starts to to to, to head in the direction of spirituality. Hmm? You become a better person, a more wholesome person, a more giving person, a person who's less fit to to live in a world about taking. It's about taking. Hmm? You, you start to live in a, in, in a world where the idea is that you get ahead by having your head stepped on rather than stepping on other people's heads. That's why you always see these people touching their heads to the ground. They're not crazy. <laughs> they have a, some idea about that, how to get ahead, hmm? how to survive. Darwin had an idea about survival, hmm? that the most brutish would be most fit. Hmm? And you know, there's a lot of wisdom that people have drawn from that. In fact, the Bhagavad, sacred text, says the same thing. Jivo jiva sajivanam. One living being is food for another. But not like, unlike Darwin, doesn't stop there. Hmm? It goes on to say, but you'll be more fit and you'll be more um, evolved Hmm? the kinder you become. Hmm? And we have a sense of this in human society, therefore we don't think Hitler is more evolved than the Mother Teresa. But he was certainly more brutish hmm? and capable of taking. So in human life we get to think about evolution of self. And self is different from body. Hmm? Self is the seer, not the eyes. Self is the hearer. Not the ears, and I said, or as I said earlier, those instruments are getting in the way of our seeing clearly, of our hearing clearly. And yoga is about harnessing those senses and that mind and our intellect in such a way hmm, that the self can come out and see and hear and be and be a lover ultimately, hmm? be what it is, giver. Hmm? So this giving, this heart exercise that is bhakti yoga, as we'll see here in talking about the different types of yoga, the central focus of that 
is the aspect of each type of yoga that causes that yoga to move forward, to be progressive, to be fruitful. We're talking about karma yoga. Karma, what makes karma, or in this sense it means action, what makes it a yoga? Or a means of linking, yoga means to link ourselves, to connect ourselves to the center. We're living on the circumference. What, what makes that a linking um, medium, that action? I'm talking about action of the senses that's taking us away from the center. It's causing difference. So what kind of action then takes us towards the center and becomes thereby a yoga? Action that is centered on sacrificing the fruits of one's labor. Sacrifice, what is sacrifice then? Sacrifice is the, is the beginning of love. Love sounds like a great, you know, it's a really wonderful idea. And it's spoken about very poetically and whatnot, but it's a lot of work, actually. <laughs> it's a big exercise of the heart, right? You have to sacrifice. The two have to become one in love. And we are, don't want to become, we want to remain separate. Now, there's, a, there's, there's, there's some truth to that, too. I mean, really, we want to become one, as I said. We sense that there's a unity at the heart of reality. But we also sense there's some difference, too. Hmm? And um, so I want to speak about that. But that difference that I'm talking about there is a difference that arises out of unity, hmm? that doesn't compromise the unity, like the differences here in material existence that arise out of our sense perception and our selfishness. Hmm? So to move away from selfishness, this is uh, that selfishness is unbecoming. It is accepted by everyone, in every circle. Just like even amongst thieves, after robbing the bank, one will say, let's divide the loot honestly here. <laughs> so you can't get away from this. And so yoga, then, what I want to say here is that yoga, that means of linking ourselves to the center, to unify with, uh, make a union with the center, to be on center, the, the driving force in that, is the extent to which sacrifice, which is a rudimentary form of love and devotion, is factored in to the effort, the labor, the work. And the result then of factoring this devotion in, this sacrifice into our work in karma yoga is knowledge comes. And as I said now, this is a different kind of knowledge. This is a mystical uh, knowledge, a kind of a sense of um, self is arrived at through this knowledge that's very different from our sense of self materially, that's very expansive. Hmm? It shows us unlimited, uh, great, uh, I should say, uh, uh, unlimited possibilities. Hmm? It, it begins to acquaint us with the, this, the, that, that underlying uh, unity that uh, of consciousness that makes the world that, that sustains the world that makes the world go round. I mean, this uh, to say that it's consciousness that animates matter. It lends itself to matter, and matter then takes on a life. We are the experiencer. Matter is experienced. the The viewer turns on the the uh, the television and gives it a life. 
It may take over the viewer's life, that's a problem. But meaning is yoga, to get out of that problem, that's the idea. So we are a unit of consciousness, we're running the world, so to speak, but the world's also running us. What that means to say, simply, is that although we're a unit of consciousness, somehow or other, the influence of ignorance and illusion has the power to overcome us. But if we could connect with the center, the reservoir of consciousness, then we would have a strength and a connection, by association, if you will, whereby our own position as a unit of consciousness is bettered that much more to the extent to which the veil of ignorance will never come to um, cover our eyes. Just like sun. Sun is shining and clouds may come. And where do they come from? They come from the sun. Right? We may be under the clouds and we may not see the sun. We may say the sun is not out today. Of course, it's shining like anything, right? Above the cloud. What separated us from the sun is the cloud. And the cloud produced the sun and... and Nonetheless, some sun comes through, hmm? some rays of the sun. We're something like a ray of the sun, if you will. We're covered by a cloud at the present moment. You might ask why the sun created the cloud. That's a big theological question, and of course every tradition seeks to answer it to one extent or another, to the extent at least, hopefully, that it motivates us to do something about the fact that we're in ignorance. Because we should not question too long about why we are. Hmm? That's for sure. <laughs> we should question how to do something about it, how to get out. If we're too preoccupied with questions that won't, the answers to which won't fit between our ears, hmm? and we don't allow our heart to move hmm? and take action, so to speak, to overcome the ignorance of material existence, that would be a great uh, fence-sitting intellectual loss. Hmm? so to speak. You will be on the outside of the bottle and never taste the, the honey inside. So, hmm. so a ray of, of the light of the reservoir of consciousness is a kind of a way of talking about ourselves and the ignorance of, of illusion. Maya hmm, is the cloud... Uh, Maya means also to measure. You might have heard the Sanskrit word Maya. It means illusion, but it also means to measure. To measure. And that's what we try to do. We try to measure everything. We try to bring everything within the grip of our fist of our intelligence. And the nature of the infinite is such it can't be measured, so it's not a good proposal. Yoga, again, is a way of going about understanding the the infinite on the part of the finite in a, in a kind of a backward way. And I want to say that it reaches its culmination in bhakti. From karma yoga, action in which the fruits are sacrificed for the absolute and the giving tendency is developed within us. You should try to develop the giving tendency in any way. However, and as you grow in a giving tendency, you become more clear as to what the center is made out of, where it can be located, and where to give. Sacrificing and giving is the way to find your way to the center. Hmm? 
and taking is the way to find yourself on the circumference. Because the center, if you will, might be likened to a big positive magnet. Everything is going out, right? Pushing. And um, generating kind of source, the generator. Hmm? Everything coming from the source, the world. Uh, what does it say? So, if the center is a positive pushing force and is big, and we are a tiny unit and we take on a pushing position, what will happen to us? If we take a big positive magnet and we take a very tiny positive magnet and put them in connection with one another, what will happen? The tiny magnet will be. <laughs> It'll have a life, but what kind of life? It will, it will move, no doubt, but in the wrong direction. Hmm? It will be pushed to the circumference. But however small that, that, that we are, and it's small, we are so insignificant in a sense. Hmm? We try to be so important. Hmm? We have importance, we have value, great value. But that value is realized in connection with our, with our source, that which we belong to, that which we are, an, that energetic source that we are an energy of. And when that connection is not made, then, then, then we have little, if any, value, real value. So as little and as insignificant as we are, I mean, even materially speaking, Materially speaking, I mean, this is one planet, one particle of dust in, you know, in, in space. When you hear when you hear people talk about space, you probably know a lot about space, right? You studied that. That's a big thing. <laughs> galaxies and what are the five hundred million galaxies or something they say. And um, I mean, just when you talk about it, you start to feel really small. And and these are things that you can you can believe in. You don't have to believe me. I mean, it's, we are small. <laughs> insignificant and tiny and we try to be big hmm? we should try to be small because <laughs> that's what we are something like that and however small however insignificant in one sense and insignificant only as a result of trying to push against the center hmm? and take that position of centrality like I said the world of our mind which is our center is so small and we think other people should fit inside. They should be happy there. Even though, if we we're honest, we say, I'm not happy there. I'm uncomfortable in that little world. Hmm. So if that small self takes on a negative uh, pole, hmm, negative, magnetically speaking, negative means what? Negative means giving. I don't mean it in a negative way. I mean it in a positive way. Hmm. Giving to the center. Hmm. And um, uh, then it will be drawn like anything because the center is big, right? And we're very small. It can draw us in very quickly. So the more we adjust our position, our disposition, hmm, our heart, if you will, change our heart from a taker to a giver, hmm, the more readily we'll be practicing yoga. Hmm? And 
the more quickly we'll be proceeding towards the center and knowing the value of our being. We'll know, we'll know truly what we are by, that, by knowing that which we're related to. It may not be the best example of our time, but Israel's a very small country in the Middle East surrounded by Arab nations. Um, so if you just looked at it like, I think this country's in big trouble, but if you step back and see that it's associated with with the United States and its big military-industrial complex, and so we think, well, it's pretty, in pretty good shape. It may be small unto itself, but we see what it's associated with, and we see that it's big. So we have to see ourselves in relation to that which we're associated with, and we associate, if we associate ourselves only with taking and matter, well, we'll become like matter. We won't really matter in the big you know, scheme of things, hmm? as important as we may think ourselves to be. So to adjust our way of thinking, this is not easy. This is to change our whole, for a lifetime, for eons, we've been driven to take by the force of our material predicament. For example, in less complex forms of life, they say that less complex forms of life differ from human life because human life has the capacity to reason. So we are called reasonable animals. The implication of this is that in the other animal species, that reasoning faculty has not developed as much. And so the force of the physical drives then are greater. Hmm? In other words, think about yourself. The more you have a physical drive, the less it is easy to think. That's why when you think deeply, you kind of sit down and you calm yourself and put yourself in a quiet place. Hmm? This outgoing physical activity doesn't work that well with thinking and thinking deeply. Thinking is going more inward, more subtle. The physical sense aspect of ourself is, is in one sense uh, more tangible, but it's less profound than the mental sense aspect, the psychic dimension of ourself. I laugh sometimes. People say, well, that's, you know, it's only in your mind. Only in your mind. What is mind? <laughs> What is it in comparison to the physical? It's actually much uh, more, more profound. Hmm? That's another topic, but... <clears throat> so... To grow, then, means to, to give, and to give is to change our way of thinking. In human life, we're rational animals. We can reason, and we can reason such a way as to have to do less and get and accomplish more, for example, power of reasoning. But if we reason really well, we can, we, can, we can reason that in human life, we have the chance to do something voluntarily. We get to say, you first. In the jungle, they don't get to say, you first. It's me first for the meal. Humans, we, we get to say, you, you go first. This is a huge development, huge progression in consciousness. You're starting to do something voluntarily, hmm? to give, in other words. The opportunity to really do this comes in human life. Therefore, the opportunity to really be all that you can be as an evolving soul is what we call human life. So we live in a very auspicious time. We live in human time, those of us here tonight. 
to do something with the wealth, with the wealth of opportunity that's been afforded us. That is what yoga is about. It's the instrument, if you will, to help us take advantage of the inheritance of human life and learn how to hone our giving capacity. That's yoga. Hmm? How to hone it and focus it so that it becomes more and more giving, more in two ways. That the giving becomes selfless without attaching any getting to it. More pure, that means. In karma yoga, I'm giving the fruits of my activities because I don't want my activities to get in the way. There's some calculation there. You follow me? As pure as that motive may seem, there's still some calculation. There's a reason that I'm giving. And I'm giving you reason for giving, for giving also. But my point is that when giving reaches its peak, love knows no reason. Hmm? That's when the giving is the getting and you don't even know that you're giving. Hmm? This is what bhakti is about. There's a yoga of just giving. Hmm? In jnana yoga also, in jnana yoga, what's the difference between jnana yoga and karma yoga? There's no taking. In karma yoga there's a license to take. In other words, to interact with the world, which means taking. You can take, but offer the fruits of your taking within reason. You need some of them to maintain yourself, but within reason. Your fun would be to give the fruits for printing books about yoga or, or opening a meditation center or something like this. This is your fun money. Your, you call it disposable money. You throw it at the center. Hmm? This is karma yoga. And jnana yoga, there's no taking. Because jnana means knowledge, and it means mystic knowledge. And what is that mystic knowledge? It's different than ordinary knowledge. Ordinary knowledge is, again, the kind of knowledge by which your capacity to take is enhanced. But the mystic knowledge that comes from yoga is knowledge that, that tells us there's nothing worth taking out there. The best things in life are not things. Hmm? The best thing in life is me. I'm not a thing. I'm that which calls things, things. Hmm? And if I lend my life, myself to them, they they take on a life only that much, only thereby, only to that extent. Hmm? I'm consciousness. And if I'm moving in the world to be happy, but I have knowledge, mystic knowledge, I know there's there's nothing that will make me happy if I move towards it to take it and get it, it will not make me happy. If I get it, it may change right before my eyes. I worked hard, I bought it, and now I have a credit card bill to pay for it. I don't even want it anymore. Hmm? To use a kind of a modern uh, example. Hmm? So knowledge, in an inner sense, means, well, it corresponds with detachment, moving away from things that don't endure because you've come in touch with an enduring thing or an enduring essence, which is you. You endure. Hmm? You don't have to move in order to sustain your sense of self because you've understood that sense of self can't be sustained. And it's not me either. I'm not the body in that combination of emotions and so forth. Hmm? I'm something else. 
unit of consciousness. So if I have knowledge, then I will not interact in the pursuit of happiness with things that don't endure. So the, so the jnana yogi has less desires than the karma yogi. He or she can sit. And some inner, 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 the, the kind of the, the, uh, the, the mind has been um, captured. The world of the mind has been dismantled. And that world of the mind is all the vision of the external world and placing values on it, judgments on it, and so forth. And the world of the self within is content. You know, there's a famous atheist who shot himself in the foot, in my opinion. And what was his name? He wrote a book called The End of Faith. Um, hmm? He's one of them, but no, another one. Uh, I can't remember his name. Anyway, End of Faith. And it was a very heavy critique, you know, one of these heavy, like, Dawkins or uh, the other guy, Hitchens. So this is the one I can't remember. Hmm? Yeah, Sam Harris. Uh, scathing kind of uh, expositions through logic of, of, uh, of the shortcomings of fundamentalist orientation to religion, religious dogma, superstition, and so forth and so on. And, um, you know, while there's a place for that, and that's important, those, a religious orientation in life is supposed to have a different purpose. It's supposed to take us gradually, a morally sound life, and uh, in the direction of spiritual experience, which makes us flexible and broad-minded and deep and so forth. But oftentimes, without good guidance, it doesn't. And then you get these misrepresentations of religion that go as religion. So anyway, he made a scathing attack of that, attacking religion. And at the end of the book, he made a comment on mysticism. So this is this is actually different mysticism, Eastern mysticism. There you find the real practical means of coming to understanding and so forth. It was interesting the way he wrote it. And I thought, well, you really shot yourself in the foot because if you really understand the heart of religion, you understand this is what it's about. And you've only critiqued the misrepresentation of the great religions of the world and so forth, hmm? who are all founded by mystics, people worthy of gathering around. Hmm? So mystic knowledge, the result of, of acts based on, on sacrifice hmm? that comes within us, acquaints us with a sense of self, hmm? such that we can live within. Sam Harris said, the happiest man in the world may be living in a cave. We should think about that. <laughs> he didn't have the internet either. <laughs> or he could, but... <laughs> He may be living in a cave. The happiness lies within. There's a world within. And knowledge, acquaintance through sacrifice via knowledge, mystic knowledge, is the beginning of, of, of acquaintance with that world. So what's the beginning acquaintance? The beginning acquaintance is, whew, it's like that. Shanti, 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 peace, peace. Peace. I am at peace. I have been chased in six directions for lifetimes and lifetimes by masters who are never satisfied, by my ears, by my 
sense of smell, by my eyes, by my tactile sense, by my mind. All these six senses, if you will, have been pulling on me in different directions and by chasing me down the street. An oppressive life. No, no, no time to, to, to sit down and be myself. And if you sit down, they say, don't just sit there. Do something. That is the world, right? Don't just sit there. Do something. And so... The first acquaintance with that inner world is a big relief. I'm not being chased anymore. I have no karmic debt anymore. I've stopped taking, hmm, weathered the storm of reaping the fruits of my previous taking hmm, by way of offering the fruits that come from my activities in, in, in sacrifice to the Absolute, to the Godhead. Hmm? And now, my debt is over. No one's chasing me anymore. It's peaceful. I can sit here quietly, hmm? happily. I don't need anything. I found out that I wanted to be this, I wanted to be that, and the whole problem is wanting to be when I already be. Hmm? I be something more than I could think of in my head what to be. When I was a young man, 20 years old, I used to sit and think, what will I be? And everything I thought of, I followed it out as far as I could, and I thought, it just, it just falls short. It just falls short. Hmm? Until I landed on, on, on yoga, I thought, no, this has room. This is deep, spiritual life. I mean, when I was younger, and I first, I was a Catholic boy, when I first heard about religion as a as a child, I thought, well, I should be a priest then. I'm kind of like, you know, take it all the way kind of a person. Extremist, I suppose, but it has its advantages if you, you know, go in the right direction. Hmm? You have the right center. And that is the other aspect about giving that is important in order for our giving to be comprehensive and complete. And that is the aspect of giving that comes into greater focus as we progress from gyan, and then the dhyan, if you will, the meditation of astanga yoga, the giving that's involved in that and the corresponding realization or acquaintance with inner life that comes from that. There's a progression here. It becomes more and more focused. The initial focus is, oh, I'm at one with everything. I'm at, I'm at peace. We're all one. We're all consciousness. We're not matter. All these differences are just arising from the minds and the senses of people. They're labeling things and judging things and calling them things that they're not. How confused they are. Hmm? I'm at peace. I'm at one with everyone. Hmm? The truth is peace. The truth is oneness. Hmm? The problem is difference. Hmm? This is the thinking. Hmm? Yoga, Ashtanga Yoga, then. As this knowledge comes from sacrifice, Ashtanga Yoga is a method of kind of hone that knowledge in a way that a more clear perception even of the nature of that transcendence, if you will, that peaceful place, comes into focus. Hmm? The focus of yoga in Patanjali's sutras that I mentioned earlier is the Paramatma, not the Brahman. We've been speaking about Brahman 
oneness that underlies everything. We are kind of part of, if you will. Hmm? One with. Hmm? In Patanjali's Ashtanga Yoga, and thereby in this chapter of Bhagavad Gita, sixth chapter, the focus is the Paramatma. It means a kind of a beginning understanding, if you will, that I'm not alone here. I'm not alone in this cave. I've been here a long time and it's really peaceful, but there's something else here too. There's, a di- there's some kind of distinction in here that doesn't get away in the way of the difference. And so their capacity for continuing to give exists in transcendence. And should it not? If giving is the means to go from here to there, will giving then end upon arriving? It's about giving. Hmm? You follow me? So to the inner world, hmm? there's something to do there, and it's giving. And so in order to be able to, to function there in a meaningful way, rather than just kind of sitting there, to take part in the whole thing, if you will, of the party, of the festival, of, of the inner world, a more clear focus as to the nature of, of the center has to come into, uh, into, into vision. This is called Paramatma in Gita and in Yoga Sutras also. Hmm? Paramatma. It means you are Atma, we are Atma, self, but there is a para-atma. And there's a likeness between ourselves in the para-atma, the supreme Atma. There's a likeness. But there's just enough distinction also hmm? for there to be an interaction. Just like in love, if you and I love one another, then we're, you and I become we, right? But there's still you and there's still me. You've taken on my mind, I've taken on your mind. There's still some individuality there, right? Even though we're one. Hmm? It's kind of a dynamic oneness. It's not a static oneness. You know, if, you're, if, you're, if, if, if there's a lot of noise and it's bothering you, then you can just say, well, let's just have one note. All these notes in discord, problematic, I'm getting a headache. Just, just play one note. Om. Try it. Om. Peaceful. One note. But uh, there's something to be said for many notes all playing the same tune. That's called harmony. There's a way in which there may be many and they may be one at the same time. You follow me? If you take a stone and you throw it in the pool, what will happen? Beautiful concentric circles will go out in all directions. It'll be very beautiful. If you take another stone in the meantime and throw it in another place, what will happen? You won't see those beautiful concentric circles. There will be conflict. So we should have one center. But we could have 108,000 million stones. You understand? If they're all in the same center. But so what happens if we take 108 million billion stones and put them all and throw them all in the same center? The circle will become bigger only. Hmm? Wider. The beauty of it will become, its, its inherent beauty, its depth of beauty will become broad also in its outreach. Hmm? Bhakti is deep and bhakti is broad. 
This is the idea. It's deep about giving. It asks you to go deep and give from the heart and it tells us what it does. As Astanga Yoga begins to acquaint us with the Paramatma, the Godhead, and its and a distinction within the Absolute that doesn't get in the way of harmony. And uh, From there we come to this verse. This verse comes at the end of this chapter about all these types of yoga and this particular yoga, Ashtanga Yoga, is detailed here in 6th chapter. And Krishna says, Joginam. The Yogeshwar says, Joginam. Joginam means of yogis. Yoginam api sarvesham. Sarva. Esham, of all yogis. Yoginam api sarvesham. Now he begins to define bhakti. This kind of yoga, which will be the subject of the next six chapters, which will be reflected on in the following six chapters. The conclusion of the Gita is found in the middle six chapters, and it's reiterated at the end. And the beginning of those middle six chapters comes at the end of the first six. The first six are about tvam. Have you heard it? Tattvamasi. Tattvamasi. It's a famous uh, Upanishadic aphorism. Tattvamasi. It's kind of confusing. It says, you are that. You are that. Kind of a Zen cone, I guess. You are that. Think about that. The first six chapters are about tvam, about you, what you are. But the story is not completed there in the first six chapters, because you are, as I mentioned earlier, we are what we are completely in terms of that which we have relationship with. And we have a relationship with the center. And if we can make that relationship, we can know all that we are. So the second six chapters are about tat, tum and tat. You are that. And it also may be translated, you are his. You are the Godheads, his and hers. You belong to them. After all, this is really a devotional book. But you say, I thought it was about knowledge. But loving is knowing. When you love, you know what to do. It's essential kind of knowledge. Here he's coming now to this. He says, Yoginam, Apisa, I talked about so many types of yoga, and thereby so many types, so many yogis. This is my field, he says, yoga. Yoginam apisarvesham. He begins to define bhakti. Yoginam apisarvesham mat gaten antaratmana. He's talking about bhakti yoga in its fully developed form. Here. You don't start there, of course. But this is the beauty of bhakti. Its fully developed form, being a fully developed form of giving, being a giving in which there's no sense that I'm giving, even. It's love. When you love, you don't feel the burden that I'm giving. There's no calculation in it. This is ragbhakti. Hmm? We call it. There's no calculation there. Why I'm giving. Hmm? There are different gradations, even within bhakti, you know, bhakti yoga. But to speak of the more, uh, the greater distinctions between karma yoga, jnana yoga, dhyana yoga, or astanga yoga, Within bhakti there are distinctions. Here he's talking about the highest idea of yoga, prem, prem of, of bhakti, prem bhakti, love. Hmm? 
one might do bhakti because we hear all these things tonight and they make a lot of sense to us and there's some support from revelation and so I'll do it. But there's some reasoning involved there, isn't it? That's okay. So we've got to start somewhere. Hmm? If I do it because it's the right thing to do, there's still some calculation. When that giving, which is the doing, just reaches a pitch, there's no calculation involved. That's what we call Krishna consciousness. That's why you see, you see pictures of Krishna dancing with gopis and frolicking with cows and so forth. What does all that mean? That means this, very simply. These people, these milkmaidens, these cows, they don't know that Krishna is Yogeshwar. They don't know it. Their love has retired, that has suppressed, if you will, that knowledge that they are in touch with the infinite for the sake of the intimacy of that connection. If you want an intimate connection with the absolute, with the infinite, it has to take on a finite-like appearance. Otherwise, you won't be able to get close. You'll say, oh my God, it's God. Hmm? So when you see these are devotees, uh, gopis, cows, coward people, you may have seen the pictures in art and so forth, the art of Krishna Leela, it's called Leela, it means play. It's a kind of movement that's different than karma, which is another type of action, the action we talked about earlier that is obligatory because you've sown, you're reaping the fruits and they're chasing you and you have to move. Hmm? We talked about that man sitting in the cave. Shanti, shanti, shanti. Now we're talking about something else. It's peaceful there, but it's more than peaceful. It's loving, it's joyful by nature and there's a kind of fullness that it become, wherein one becomes so full that they have to move out of fullness, not out of emptiness and a sense of need. That is called lila. Celebration, hmm? to dance. The absolute is depicted in Gita, in Bhagwat, in the Bhakti school. Krishna is a dancer. If only, um, what's his name? Would have known. We could have been saved from existentialism. Um, Nietzsche. <laughs> He said, if there's a God, he'd be a dancer. The conversation isn't over, but we would have been saved from a hope of questioning our existence, whether we exist. Such mind-benders and and poor use of of, of intellect, in my estimation. Smart man, but he drove himself crazy thinking about all those things. So, in bhakti school, in bhakti yoga, lila is the ideal. Not to sit still, but to participate in lila. And lila is not something that is, is a lesser stage of divinity. It is the full expression of divinity. It is Brahman dancing, energized by its own shakti. And that shakti is, is constituted of, of love. Bhakti shakti, sarup shakti is causing Brahman to dance. And, he, and how is that Brahman depicted then? Sham, color, like Krishna color. It's, called, it's the color of romantic love in Indian aesthetics. And is the old man with a beard? No, he's youthful. Youth is such a valuable commodity. Oh, he's youthful and carefree. And 
Someone says, well, Krishna, you say that Krishna is the center. This is what the mystics in bhakti, they see this. They experience this. And in their heart, it's described here in this verse, in their heart, they experience this. They participate in that. They're not sitting on the bench there. They're participating in the dance of the Absolute. And you say, well, it's Krishna? I mean, there's so many gods and goddesses in the Hindu. Some guy's got four heads. Some have five. Some of them are, have weapons, and some of the ladies have powers and so forth. And Krishna doesn't appear to have any power. He's just playing. Play the flute, dancing. But of course, you have to have power to play. Right? If you want to take a vacation, you need to have some money in the bank. You need to have worked. To play, you have to have worked. So he who is only playing, he is all-powerful. So in the Hindu pantheon, then this, this Krishna is the heart of the divinity. The Buddha is the wisdom. You know, to go cross-culturally, Christ is an example of the sacrificing face of divinity. And Krishna is the romantic heart of the Absolute. Hmm? Love, and love is a kind of movement. It's not sitting still. We cannot sit still until we find love. That's true. And when we find it, we start moving again, right? In a different way. And it's like this, whoo, but you don't get off. It's, it has money ups and downs, so Lila has union and separation. And uh, the devotees are unified with Krishna, but then they're separated and they cry and they, they're unified again. And the Lila is moving like this. And it's like an eternal motion, you know, the Academy Award winning picture of, of all times. Hmm? Krishna Lila. And this is experienced in the heart of the devotee. What they're finding is what? As their giving tendency has become purified and freed from calculation, they're coming in touch with that giving, the taking end of our giving. If we're giving, we have to give somewhere. So the, the enjoying side, we're the giving side, there's an enjoying side, like the stomach enjoys the food. But rightfully so, because it also mystically distributes that energy to all the body in a way that no other part of the body could. So the center here is, in bhakti is depicted as an enjoyer. Krishna is an enjoyer, kind of a playboy. Hmm? It's just enjoying. And we think, I don't know about that. You know, spiritual life's about giving, about sacrificing. But it's the other end of these thought, the equation, where the giving should go. Hmm? And by giving there, one ends, ends up participating in that playing. Krishna says a nice thing in the Gita in another place at the end of the fifth chapter. He says, he says, um, what is that verse? He says, Bhoktaram jagatapasam sarvaloko meheshwaram. He says, I am the enjoyer of all sacrifices. Bhoktaram jagatapasam. And all penances are meant for me. Bhoktaram jagatapasam sarvaloko meheshwaram. Everything's under my control. You start getting a little choked everything for you, nothing for me. <clears throat> and then he says, Suridam Sarvabhutanam. He said, but really what he's saying is, but if you accept this, then Suridam Sarvabhutanam, you become my friend. So suddenly you become the friend of the person who owns everything, controls everything, who's the rightful enjoyer of everything. It's a good friend to have. You don't have to struggle for all those things yourself. Good connection, you know, is everything. It's not what you know, it's who you know. That's bhakti. 
<laughs> he could know many things, but if you know him, <laughs> then you know everything. Hmm? So, the idea is this. If we are to give comprehensively hmm, and unlimitedly, two things must be in place. One, the motivation in our giving must be pure. We cannot have any, any factor of taking in the giving. And in order to, to, to do that and to give selflessly entirely, we have to have a place where we can give it that can take everything. And there is. Hmm? This is the idea of Krishna. That center that can take everything that we can give and give back in a way that we cannot imagine by way of making us, um, enabling us to participate in that uh, dance, if you will, in romantic life of the absolute. You won't be sitting on the, in a cave, you'll be, you'll be dancing there. This is, uh, then we find what? We find the unity that is at the heart, we think, of, of, of real life. And we find a difference also. That is love. There's a unity and a difference in love. So bhakti is a, is a sadhana, a practice of love, if you will, hmm? which is the practice of trying to attract the attention of the absolute by becoming, like I said earlier, like a negative magnet, humble and of a giving nature and so forth. Hmm? All our practices are like that. Like a young girl wants to attract a young boy and time's gone by then she'd wear the color that he might like and just happen to have a lunchbox full of the things that he liked at the bus stop. <laughs> you know, been around a while. So um like that. The bhakti is like a young like a young girl, something like that, trying to track the supreme uh, uh lover. Hmm? Yeah. And so the focus here of the absolute has come into greater in the, in the, in the, more into view in bhakti. So Krishna says, let me conclude here with a, a quick uh, explanation of the verse. He says, Yoginam, apisarveshan, of all yogis, madgatinantaratman. One who's atma, antara. This is a yogi who's got inner life here. There may be bhaktas, and this is the, I want to say there are twofold excellences about bhakti that it's a post-liberated uh, type of yoga. In other words, the giving that it's constituted of continues in, in transcendence. So there's an ongoing growing of knowing and ecstasy. Although it's unlimited, it grows nonetheless. Hmm? It's a post-liberated. <coughs> Knowledge has an end. Hmm? Bhakti has not. Bhakti, devotion, from devotion you can get knowledge. What is the implication? Think about it. From bhakti, you can get knowledge. What's the implication? What else can you get? Can you get bhakti from knowledge? No. Bhakti actually doesn't come from knowledge. It comes from itself. Only bhakti can give bhakti. Bhakti samjataya bhaktiya. Bhakti can give mukti, liberation. So then you think, well, what else does it have? <laughs> if it can give mukti, then mukti is within it. Hmm? And more. Hmm? So Krishna said there. So, but but the gener- that's the one side of bhakti. The other side of bhakti is its generosity. People who are not madgatenantaratmana, who are not awakened inside, Krishna says about me, they can still do bhakti. Hmm? How he says, yogi namo pisarvesham madgatenantaratmana shradhavan 
Bajate Jomam Sama Yuktamumata. Shadhavan. Shadhavan, he says. He speaks about the end of bhakti. Inner life, heart, awakened, in experiencing me fully in, in devotion within. In other words, the, the controlling of the mind, the dhyan, the samadhi of, of Ashtanga Yoga, that's all in place. Hmm? And in the context of that, he's, he's um, venerating me from within in love and affection. Hmm? Beginning bhakti yoga and cannot do that. But he says, Shraddhavan. He actually takes us from the beginning to the end. Filled with faith, Shraddha. So what is the, in other words, what is the qualification for treading the path of bhakti? There was a qualification for treading the path of jnana. In other words, remember, you couldn't sit down because you had too many things to do. So you had to first do those things in a way that your interest in those things would wane, and then you could sit down. There was a qualification. Hmm? To do karma, yoga, also, there's some qualification also. Hmm? You have to be willing to do righteous things, hmm? dharmic things, and give the fruits. So now we're going higher into bhakti. The ideal is higher. The end is higher. So we'll think the qualification must be higher. But this is its other excellence. No. <laughs> it doesn't have such a high qualification. It says, if you're full of material desires, shradhavan, hmm? but you have faith in me, Krishna says. Shradhavan, if you're full of faith in me, and my words, as they are spoken in the Gita, that simply by singing about me, wearing the vestments of, of, of my uh, deity form in the temple when they retired by the priest, eating the remnants of the food that had been offered to me. These aren't hard things to do, he said. You have a heart full of material desires, and you tread the path of bhakti. What is your position then? Oh, well, you're not awakened within, but your position is better than one who is, in one sense, on the path of jnana because of your connection your potential. Look, if I'm a doorman in a seven-story building and you're the CEO in a 700-story building, you will look down on me every morning and look at that doorman down there. Hmm? He's just a doorman. Hmm? Or let's say, I mean, it's the other way around. I'm the doorman for a 700-story building and you're the CEO of the seven-story building. So you're looking down at me from your penthouse suite. He's just a doorman there. But I have the potential as a doorman. I've got in the door of a 700-story building and I'll get to the tops. Hmm? And Bhakti's like, elevator to the top. Hmm? And then what will that CEO look like in comparison? He'll look like a doorman. His position, it may be great. You may be sitting in the cave happy, but hmm? this is another thing. Hmm? You're in the penthouse suites with the Playboy Krishna, <laughs> so to speak. Hmm? In Leela. Hmm? So the the, the the excellences of bhakti in this sense are that it's it reaches so high and it reaches so low extent. And why does it reach low? It's very very simple because the basis of it is this: if you approach me, let's say, and you want something from me, then I'm only going to let you get that so close. Hmm? If you approach me to get things from me, okay, well, you know. Let them in, give them a couple things, and send them out. Hmm? Now, if you approached me to get what I got, for example, in my head that got me all the things that I've got, and you want that, 
Well, I might share my secrets with you. Okay, you're a little more thoughtful and you're approaching me on a different level. You want to get them for yourself. You just want my means for getting them. So this is kind of an intellectual yukta or yoga, union with me. First is a kind of a physical union. You want my things. Now you want my knowledge. Hmm? But what if you don't want anything from me? You just want to be with me. You mean you like me? It's not that you like my things or my intelligence, my, my, even my wisdom necessarily that you want. Hmm? You just want to be with me. Who has a liking for Krishna? This is Shraddha. Shraddhavan. So he says, come in. Come in. Is there anything you want? No, I just want to be with you. I like that. So Eko Bahusham, that's why the one became many. And if the many wake up to that, hmm, then quickly they can come to the one. Hmm? And be one with the one in love and have one. Hmm? Have conquered over the mind and conquered over the senses. Very easy. So, bhak, so easily. So bhakti is a very easy type of yoga then. And it consists of hearing and chanting about Krishna, tasting the remnants of the foods offered to Krishna and so forth. It's... Um, I mean, anybody can do this. Hmm? So he says, anyone can do Shraddhavan. And when their faith is full, hmm, and, their, and their mind becomes fully absorbed in me, they're awakened within about me, hmm, then Sami Yukta Tama. This is the Yukta Uttama. You understand? Yukta Uttama. Yoga is about Yukta, about linking, connecting. Uta means supreme. This is the supreme connection. How can it be otherwise? If we want to connect with the Absolute through our work, if we want to connect with the Absolute through our intelligence, and, uh, uh, or if we want to connect with the Absolute through our heart. Rea- in reality, only to the extent that the heart is involved can we even connect through our work. And in reality, only to the extent that, that our heart is involved can we connect through the intellect. What if we just go all heart? Hmm? Something like that. This is the idea of bhakti. And Krishna has gone through the whole gamut of yoga and extolled its virtues in every respect. Hmm? And then he's, what he really said here is, well, you might want to think about this. This is Krishna speaking, so this isn't Patanjali. Hmm? Hmm? This is real sutra of bhakti yoga. So, I don't want to take much more of your time. I've spoken for a while, but it's a big topic, so forgive me. If... Um, so I'm a little bit long-winded. Anyone have a question? Yes, ma'am. This is a practical step. By hearing these things, this is the most practical step you can take. It's called Sadhu Sangha. Sadhu Sangha, Sadhu Sangha, Sarva Shastra, Kola Lava Matra, Sadhu Sangha, Sarva Shiddhi Hoi. You 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 associate satam prasanga mulir samido bhavanti hrit karna rasayana katha chad josana raspa barga vatmani vata shadharati bhakti manukramish anukramish this is the best thing you can do sadhu sangha you you come to associate with sadhus someone who has some experience about this some inner uh, life realization. That person can touch your heart, even if you don't let it go through your head. You listen, and you, you know, with your intelligence, and you only let so many things go in, right? Hmm? 
And if I can capture your head, then your heart will be accessible. And even if I can't, if I have a heart for this, then something will go in anyway. So sadhusanga is important. That's yeah, this is the hearing. What a practical step can you take? You can hear. If you find so if if this has perked your interest in bhakti, hmm? <laughs> you say what practical steps we can you can take? It means your interest in bhakti has been perked. You've taken a practical step. That's the idea. <laughs> so now you have to hear more, hear more, get, and take good good association. Hmm? It said, Satam Prasanga, Mamavirya Sambhyo. In the Sangha of Bhaktas, there is a topic, Krishna speaking, and he says, Mamavirya, it's about my virtues. Hmm? And if you come in that company, Mamavirya Sambhyo, Bhavanti Hritkarna Rasayana Kata. You know what is Rasayana? He said, like a life giving elixir. The life giving elixir of my Kata, the topics about me. Hmm? It's on, in their hearts and it comes on their tongues and it dances there. And it will find its way into your ear. Hmm? Then it will go into your heart and it will create shraddha. Shraddha. Ratir anukram. And you will move from shraddha, from initial faith, to rati, to love. Hmm? Anukram, step by step. So there's something to our bhakti yoga. We do have practices and we do sit and we do dance and we do a number of things and so forth. But if your interest is perked, then you you know you can read some books about that. I'm an author of books. Some of my books are there, and um, and my, some of my students are here. So if you're interested, you can speak further with them. Any other question? Yes, sir. Maharaj, you beautifully explained about giving, Shraddha class, and giving, hmm. and. Uh, Many years ago, I was a Sanskritian devotee, and I traveled in many countries, many cultures, and that giving was very uh, visible in, in the world. But we see it diminishes every year, in fact, less and less. How people or mankind in general will come to that point of giving, just like 30 years ago, people are very giving. It will like to reduce a lot in today's society. We're out of time, I'm told. But I'll be speaking again tomorrow if you come out and answer your question. I think there's, you know, they have some... Um, people have some work and have to go home and feed their, milk their cows or whatever it may be. So thank you for your question. And thank you all for listening. And thank the dancers. And thank you, everybody. Have a good day.